You're listening to audio from the Cathedral Church of the Advent in Birmingham, Alabama, a church with a heart for the gospel. Find out more at adventbirmingham.org. Let us pray. Almighty and ever-living God, we ask that you would come uh, and make yourself known to us this evening that we might behold the wondrous mystery of uh, your Son upon that tree, that we might have a foretaste of your deliverance this evening. Father, we ask this through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Well, would you open your bulletin back to the Jeremiah passage? That's what we'll be uh, looking at this evening. Uh, and please follow along with me so you can make sure what I'm saying is trustworthy and true. Because um, I'm not the final authority. The Bible is the final authority. So make sure I'm saying it right. Well, how long, O Lord? How long will we suffer injustice, the injustice of our rulers? How long will evil prevail? When are you going to go do something about it, about the brokenness of this world? I often think, or I sometimes even, you may have even heard me say these things, when I look around at the brokenness of this world, uh, from the sin and rebellion that is so prevalent throughout it. But you can just imagine that the Israelites were probably thinking and saying the same thing. They were seeing the height of their kingdom under the rule of David, who was maybe the greatest king, and Solomon, who was the wisest king. Their kingdom had come to ruin. As the kingdoms of the Assyrians and the Babylonians attacked them and eventually took them into captivity. You can just hear them saying, when is the Messiah coming? When will God crush the serpent's head? When will God bring justice to the oppressed? When will God save us like he's promised? Well, in Jeremiah 23, we hear God addressing those cries for mercy as he brings judgment upon the rulers whose wicked actions have brought them to this point and as he promises salvation to those remaining under his loving care. But before we get into this text, let's take a step back and situate ourselves in the context of this book. Jeremiah, as you, I'm sure you might know, is a prophet in the Old Testament during the time when the kingdom was divided into two. Though God had promised that the whole land would be a possession for the Israelites through their sin and through their wickedness, the land was divided into the northern kingdom of Israel. We say to them, boo. And their, their people and their rulers had rebelled against God's rule. And then there was the southern kingdom of Judah, which is, yay. They had mostly, and I say mostly because we're going to see tonight, mostly they had remained faithful to God. That is not any way indicative of the politics of America. Let me just say that from the outset. Anyway, I'm going to move on. Uh, it's to this southern kingdom of Judah and its rulers that Jeremiah addresses in our passage. And one of the major themes we'll see throughout the book of Jeremiah and throughout this passage is God's work of salvation through judgment. We'll see that pattern in our text today as God brings his judgment upon those who have done evil. And that means salvation for those who've been oppressed, those who've been victims of that evil. And this salvation will culminate in the establishment of God's righteous rule in the land once again. 
Let's look at verses 1 and 2 again with me. Woe to the shepherds who destroy and scatter the sheep of my pasture, declares the Lord. Therefore thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, concerning the shepherds who care for my people, you have scattered my flock and have driven them away, and you have not attended to them. Behold, I will attend to you for your evil deeds, declares the Lord. Here we see God's warning and punishment to the shepherds among his people. Now God isn't actually angry at actual shepherds as though they've been tending sheep poorly in the fields. The shepherds here are the rulers of the people of Judah. And their role was to care for the sheep, which we learn in verse 2 are God's people. But they have failed in their roles. Instead of caring for the sheep, they have neglected them. Instead of providing for the sheep, they have scattered them. Instead of protecting the sheep, they have destroyed them. God says that their failures are evil and warns them that he is bringing his judgment upon them. He will not let sin and rebellion continue forever. He is doing something about their gross negligence and their horrible abuses. Because the shepherds had not given attention to the sheep, God is going to give them his full attention. I've got my eye on you, God says. And it kind of feels like God is saying to the shepherds, hey, come into my office for a minute. I just want to talk to you about something. I don't know if you've ever got that message from a boss. If you remember in high school or elementary school, being called into the principal's office, you get that email, you get that message, and you just start to think, how did I screw up today? What did I say? Who do I offend? What could have I possibly messed up? Well, we aren't really told what God's judgment is upon uh, the rulers in this situation. But as the writer to the Hebrews says, it's a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. However, God's judgment isn't all bad news. Now, it is going to be bad news for these rulers. It's going to be a bad time for them. God's judgment upon the shepherds, though, means good news for other people. It means salvation and freedom for the sheep, for the victims of their abuses. Look at verses 3 and 4 with me again. Then I will gather the remnant of my flock out of all the countries where I've driven them, and I'll bring them back to their fold, and they shall be fruitful and multiply. I'll set shepherds over them who will care for them, and they shall fear no more, nor be dismayed, neither shall any be missing, declares the Lord. Now, logically, this just makes sense, doesn't it? Judgment upon the oppressor should mean freedom and vindication and salvation for the oppressed. And this is what we see for the people of Judah. Where the shepherds had failed, God will succeed. He will gather the flock and bring them back into the fold. He will care for them. He will protect them. He will provide for them. And because of this, they will once again be fruitful and multiply. Just as he commanded Adam and Eve in the garden, so too here God is doing a work of recreation, providing a new beginning for his people. And once that had happened, once that has happened, God will establish good shepherds over them, shepherds who will care for them, who they won't have to be afraid of anymore. And we see this play out throughout the history of the Old Testament. God appoints rulers over his people to bring them back from exile. Leaders such as Zerubbabel and Ezra and Nehemiah. 
But I wonder if you've ever needed to do, if you've ever needed a do-over, a fresh start. Maybe it's Monday morning, and I don't want to give you any Monday anxiety, but maybe it's Monday morning, you're already 10 minutes late for work because you've slept in, and you spilled your morning coffee, and you've made yourself to look like a fool, and you're just thinking, can we just start this day all over again? Like, can, can we just go back? Or maybe you have fallen into temptation once again, and you're crying out to God for help, for freedom from your bondage to sin. Well, the good news is that God is in the business of redemption and recreation. He's bringing about a new day for the people of Judah. He's bringing about a new day for you and I as well. But this isn't the end of the story for Judah. It gets even better. God promises that one day he'll give them a great king. Look at verses 5 and 6 with me. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will raise up for David a righteous branch, and he shall reign as king and deal wisely and shall execute justice and righteousness in the land. In his days, Judah will be saved, and Israel will dwell securely. And this is the name by which he will be called. The Lord is our righteousness. Ever since God had promised David that one of his descendants would rule as king forever on his throne in 2 Samuel 7, the Israelites had been waiting for this king to come. Maybe it's Solomon. Well, no, he sins and turns away from the Lord and comes to ruin and then the kingdom is divided and everything crumbles and so that at this point in history the people are still waiting for this king to come but here God repeats that promise that he made to David giving a fuller understanding of what that Davidic king will look like he'll be a righteous king who will deal wisely with the people executing justice and righteousness in the land his rule and reign will bring salvation to the people of Judah and Israel as the kingdoms are once again united under him and he shall be called the Lord is our righteousness. Now on this side of history we have the privilege of knowing that this king has come and his name is Jesus. Born of the line of David, Jesus is the righteous branch. He is the king who deals wisely, who executes justice and righteousness in all the world. And in the death of Jesus Christ on the cross, God has dealt with evil and wickedness once and for all. At the cross, God's full attention was put upon Jesus as he poured out his judgment upon his shoulders so that he would take the punishment that the evil rulers and ultimately that each one of us deserves. And through the resurrection, God has raised Jesus up and seated him at his right hand and given him the name above all names, appointed him King of kings and Lord of lords. Praise be to God. Well, I wonder if this is the picture that you have of Jesus. Do you know him as your king, who rules justly and righteously and wisely? We frequently talk about Jesus as saviour or as our brother, but is, is he the king of your life? Do you live under the rule and care of Jesus the king? Or are you still trying to be the ruler of your own life? I wonder what it would look like if Jesus was the king of your life. If he was the king of your daily routine. If he was the king of your wallet. If he was the king of your work or of your future plans. 
but as much as I want to encourage you to think about that, that's not actually the main point of this passage or what I want to make. What I really want to focus on is the reason why it's good news that Jesus is ruling and reigning right now in heaven. It's good news because no matter how dark the days look, no no matter how sad, no matter how hard your life might be, no matter how much it feels like our leaders and sometimes even our God has abandoned us, we can know that that is not the case. God has already established his rule and his reign over this world. And he's doing he's ruling and reigning in heaven right now, seated at the right hand of the Father. Though his rule on this earth in our time is spiritual, and we know this for when he was on trial before Pilate in John 18:36, Jesus tells Pilate, "My kingdom is not of this world." And so just like the people of Judah, we are waiting. We still wait for the day when evil and wickedness will completely be removed from the earth. We still look forward to the day when justice and righteousness will be executed perfectly throughout the whole world, when God's kingdom will be established on earth as it is in heaven, when it will become a physical reality. But we know for certain that this will take place because the God who will act in the future is the God who has acted in the past by punishing evil on the cross and by completely eradicating it in his resurrection. While we wait for that day to become a reality, we can have confidence that that same king who rules in heaven is ruling and reigning over all things right now. He is in control, seated on his throne. He is bringing evil to an end. He's bringing an end to violence and to oppression, to abuse and to neglect to all the horrible things that happen in our world and in your life. So if, like me, you are tired of seeing oppression go on throughout this world, or maybe if you are currently a victim of oppression and injustice, then hear this good news, that the righteous king has come. His name is Jesus. In him we have hope that will be a time when sin will be no more when righteousness will reign in the land and justice will prevail. And so we cry, come, Lord Jesus, come. Let me pray. Dear loving Heavenly Father, we give you great thanks that in Jesus Christ, your righteous King has come, that his kingdom has been inaugurated through his death and resurrection and that we look forward to the day when it will be consummated when he comes again. Lord, we ask as we wait for that day for evil to be removed, that you would give us patience by your Holy Spirit. Comfort us and strengthen us as we wait, knowing that your patience means salvation for so many. And Father, we ask this through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. You've been listening to audio from the Cathedral Church of the Advent. If you live in Birmingham or find yourself visiting, we hope you'll join us for one of our Sunday services. Find out more at adventbirmingham.org.